Relationship with Jesus necessarily means the beginning of faith-seeking understanding. And somehow she navigates up into the crowd, touching people as she goes, making them what? Ritually unclean, touching people as she goes, and she gets close enough to Jesus, and we're told that she's saying to herself, she's saying to herself, repeat, if I can just touch his garment, if I can just reach out, if I can just touch his garment, if I can, she says, I, if I touch his garments, I will be made well. So this draws her, this, uh, draws her to the touching of the, of his garments, saying to herself, if I can touch these garments, I will be made well. Now the woman, we know, is an example of faith. She's an example of genuine faith. Her heart, too, is a good soil heart. The Lord has drawn her to Himself, and she responds and comes to Jesus because she's heard and she's believed. But nonetheless, let's just make note of the nature of her faith. Let's just make note of just how, shall we say, misguided her faith is. Notice what she says. If I can just touch his garment, I'll be made well. What is Jesus wearing magic clothes? You see how misguided her faith is? Do you see how mixed up her faith is with paganism? For it was the pagans who believed that things could heal. It was the pagans that believed that healing power was this impersonal force wrapped up in an idol or wrapped up in a statue or wrapped up in some magic talisman. Yet somehow she's gotten that mixed up together with seeking Jesus. Jairus is the same. For Jairus feels that Jesus must go to his house and touch his daughter. For his daughter to be made well. That's the whole context of the story is Jairus has to get Jesus there and he can't do it. So you notice how both of their faith is just mixed up, confused, mixed together with false beliefs, mixed together with pagan beliefs. Yet both people have genuine saving faith. This is why, by the way, you remember when Jesus commends the centurion's faith? The centurion who comes to Jesus and says, my servant is sick. Jesus says, all right, take me to him. And he says, no, no, no. I'm a man. I understand authority. And so I understand all you got to do is say the word. And then Jesus says, I haven't found such faith. Where? In all of Israel. Jesus commends the man's faith. We often think that Jesus is commending the strength of his faith. Uh, Jesus is not commending the strength of his faith. Jesus is commending the purity of his faith. Because his faith, though he's a Gentile, is not mixed together with these false beliefs that somehow Jesus has to come there and say some words or touch him or do something. He says, no, 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 your power is not like that. You just say the word. So this woman's faith is all mixed up. This woman's faith is infantile. This woman's faith is not just childish. It's wrong. But notice what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus doesn't throw her out. And Jesus doesn't say, come back when you get all this worked out. Come back when your faith has been straightened out by some theology professors down there at the synagogue. 
Instead, Jesus takes her mixed up faith and receives it because it's a genuine faith. This is the definition of how we come to Jesus and receive healing from Him. And by healing, I mean spiritual. By healing, I mean life. We don't come to the Lord from a position of having all this worked out. That would be an act of works to come to the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, I recognize You as King of the universe. I recognize You as Messiah. And based upon my true and accurate understanding of You, will You accept me into Your kingdom? That's works. Instead, we don't come to Jesus by works. We come to Him by faith. Jesus recognizes the nature of her faith, the character of her faith, or to put it another way, the soil of her heart is good soil. Even though her ideas are mixed together with false ideas and wrong ideas, Jesus takes her on faith. And from that point on, her experience with Jesus will become faith-seeking understanding. Because that is the experience of all of God's called out people. All of God's called out people go through our Christian life from the position of faith-seeking understanding, not understanding-seeking faith. The difference is very important. So faith-seeking understanding. The girl, the, the woman comes, reaches out to touch him and all of her mixed up beliefs, if I can just touch those clothes, if I can, I don't even need to touch his body, just touch his clothes and I'll be healed. Nevertheless, the healing comes and then we're told immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. So somehow in her body, this confirmation, she knows in her body that healing has come to her. We're not told, it's not explained to us exactly what that means, but somehow she knows that and it's immediate. Again, all of Jesus' healings are immediate and all of Jesus' healings are full and complete. Immediately the flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Now that word disease, throughout Mark's gospel, Mark uses the word for disease. That's the same word as flog. The same word that's used when we're told that Jesus was taken out and flogged. So literally, she's healed of her, of her flogging, of her misery, of her anguish, of her punishment, so to speak. So immediately, she's healed of her disease, verse 30, and Jesus perceiving in Himself that power had gone out from the crowd. Isn't that interesting? That immediately, there's two perceptions that happen. The woman perceives and Jesus perceives. Somehow, both of them immediately in, within them, within their spirit, within their, their person, they both recognize something has just happened. The woman just recognized something's happened to me. Jesus just recognized something just happened through me. So Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Notice he didn't say who touched me. So the implication here is that she didn't even touch Jesus' body, that she just reached out and just got the clothes. Now, Jesus is surrounded by hundreds of people. And those people aren't just keeping a nice, safe social distance. Those people are thronging in upon Him. Everyone is touching Jesus, which is the dismay of the disciples. They answer and they say, he says, well, who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, 
You see the crowd pressing about you, and yet you say, who touched me? Does that sound a little bit cheeky to you? I don't know about you. It does to me. That sounds just a little bit disrespectful to me. Oh, the hardness of our hearts. Because the ones who just said that are the same ones who were in the boat. Wouldn't you have thought that those who were in the boat the night before last, seeing what they saw, would never have spoken to him like that? Somehow perceiving in their, in their souls something about who this man is, wouldn't you have thought that they would not have come back with such a snarky answer as that? Throughout Mark's gospel and throughout all the gospels, but particularly Mark's gospel, we are shown over and over again the twelve apostles were not chosen for their spiritual astuteness. In fact, just the opposite is the case. It's as though Jesus chose the most spiritually dull ones He could find because that's the way of God. He always chooses the one that requires the most power. So throughout Mark's gospel, the disciples are shown not just as being average spiritually dull, but below par, like really spiritually dull. Here, these they have just been shown the most powerful and magnificent expression of the deity of Christ. And yet a day and a half later, they say, you, you, seriously? You, who touched you? Really? Don't you see? Everybody's touching you, Jesus. Which, of course, they are. But Jesus here, this is proof for us that Jesus here means that he, was been, he has been touched in a different way. He has been touched in some sort of a way that's different from how all the hundreds of others are touching him. You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. The imperfect verb tense is used there. So we could translate, he looked around and kept looking around. He searched around and searched around. He's looking, he's scanning the crowd to see who had touched him. Now, here's the question. Did Jesus know who touched him or not? What do you think? Did Jesus know who touched him? Absolutely he did. Did Jesus know who touched him? No, he did not. Now that's confusing. That's sort of a riddle, isn't it? Jesus knew who touched him and Jesus did not know who touched him. When we approach this question, did Jesus really know who touched him? Almost everyone will approach the question as though the answer has to be one or the other. Either he did or he didn't, right? There's no in-between. You don't kind of know. Either you knew or you didn't know. The mistake we often make is forgetting, because this is easy easy to forget, forgetting that Jesus is not like us. Jesus is the only being with two natures. Jesus is fully human and Jesus is fully God. Two natures in one man. And so when we ask the question, did Jesus know who touched Him? Did Jesus, the Son of God, the anointed Christ of God, did He know who touched Him? Absolutely He knew who touched Him. He brought her there. As we'll see in a moment, He arranged the crowd He arranged the circumstances of the crowd so that it would be such that the woman had to do what she did. So that he would be slowed up and so that Jairus' daughter would die. He arranged all of that. And even going further back, remember the demonized man and the townspeople who asked him to stay? 
Think back to that for just a moment. Had they not, or I'm sorry, they didn't ask him to stay. They asked him to leave. Had they not asked him to leave, had they asked him to stay, Jairus' daughter would be dead. The woman wouldn't have met him. You see how even when things appear to be wrong, God is still in control. And He's still working all these things out in just the perfect way. So the Son of God, Jesus Christ the Lord, absolutely knew who touched Him. But Jesus, the perfect man, I believe did not know. The reason I believe that is that's the plain reading of the passage. I would have to take the text and I would have to distort the text and I would have to to pervert the text in order to make the text say what it does not appear to be saying, which is Jesus asked who touched me and he's looking around to see who's going to own up to it. So for some reason that's not told to us, Jesus, the perfect human, is not told by the Spirit filling him who it was that touched him. He's told that somebody did. And he's told that power has gone from him. And he's told that someone has been healed. But for reasons not given to us, he's not told in his humanity who that was. Now, seeing all of that in this episode should help you greatly in other parts of Scripture in which Jesus appears to not know what we would think God would know, such as the timetable of the return of the Son of Man. Well, Jesus is a man of two natures. One nature is fully human. One is fully God. Jesus is the perfect man, perfectly filled by the Spirit of God. He's also God in the flesh. And in this instance, God the Spirit did not reveal to Jesus the identity of who it was that touched Him. him. So He honestly and rightly, He's not trying to deceive here. He's not playing games or playing tricks. He's honestly asking, who was it that touched me? Now, The disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and you say, yet who touched me? But he looked around, intently looked around, kept on looking around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling. That's the third time now. That's the third time that there has been chaos. Jesus has stilled the chaos. He's healed the storm. And the result was more fear than before the storm. On the water, the demonized man and the townspeople, and now the woman. All three result in the same thing, greater fear after Jesus acts than before. So she came in fear and trembling and fell down before Him. Once again, there's another falling down before Him. Same word, fell down before Him and told Him the whole truth. Spills everything, spills all the beans. This is the whole truth, Jesus. This is who I am. I've had this condition now for 12 years. And I said to myself, if I could just touch your garment, I could just reach through here and I could be healed. And yes, it was me. And yes, I have been healed. So she tells him the whole thing. But I'm sorry, verse 34. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. So now why all this interchange here? 
Why, why, why do you think that perhaps Jesus, the man, didn't know who touched him? Why is Jesus so persistent in asking this? Why instead would it not have played out differently? Let's say, for example, why would the Spirit not have told Jesus who it was that touched him? And then understanding something of the sensitivity of the miracle, of the privacy of the miracle, Jesus would just sort of look over to her and wink and then go his way. Why would that not be how? Why does Jesus single her out? Why does Jesus make her come forward? Can you feel the awkwardness of the situation? All these people, there's Jairus there, there and all this. And then yet Jesus just won't move forward. He says, no, we're not going anywhere until you come forward. Why all of this? Because for the woman's faith to be genuine, it must profess Him. There is no such thing as a secret disciple that remains secret. doesn't exist. For faith to be genuine, the Scriptures tell us plainly, we must profess Him. We can't just sneak a hand through there and and maybe just grab on to a little bit of eternal life without anybody seeing us. Some have compared the woman, and I think this is sort of a, a humorous and helpful comparison, but some have compared her to a miracle shoplifter. You know, like she's in the store and she sees something she wants, but she doesn't want to pay for it, and so she's just going to sneak it. There's no such thing as an eternal life shoplifter. There's no such thing as a secret disciple who remains secret. For her faith to be genuine, she must own it. She must profess it. She must speak it. But also for her faith to be genuine, it must produce relationship. You see, Jesus didn't come to just dole out miracles. If that's why he came, he could stay in heaven. If all Jesus came to do was just to heal people and do so discreetly when discretion was advised, He could have just done that from heaven. He didn't come just to dole out miracles. He came for relationship. He wants this woman to come face to face and to see Him, and Him see her, and to know one another. That is the whole point of the faith. That's the whole purpose, is that she come forth and acknowledge Him, and then relationship ensues. Discipleship begins. Jesus doesn't, for one minute, just want her to go home, having been healed physically, and, oh, I'm so glad that I'm over that 12-year ordeal. He wants this as a stepping block into relationship. Notice what he says to her. She came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter. You know how many people in Scripture Jesus calls daughter? One. This one. The tenderness of the moment. Daughter. So, Make note of this. At the end of the, at the end of the story, at the end of the story of uh, the part of Jairus, we're told that the woman who had the 12-year flow of blood, we're also told that the child of Jairus was 12 years old. Notice the parallels here. Jairus wants Jesus to come and heal a, a 12-year-old daughter. 
On the way, Jesus makes a daughter who has been sick for 12 years. Jesus wants a daughter. The daughter He wants has been captive for 12 years. And so He does this on the way to heal a 12-year-old daughter of Jairus. The The parallels are remarkable. But He says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Why did Jesus say that? Your faith has made you well. You know, Jesus healed lots of people and never mentioned faith. He healed more people without mentioning faith than the people He healed and mentioned faith. So why does He say to her, your faith has made you well? Because relationship with Jesus necessarily means the beginning of faith-seeking understanding. Remember what Jesus said back in chapter 4. You, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of heaven. To those on the outside, it's just parables. But to you has been given the secret. Meaning that they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, help us with this parable. The understanding that Jesus gives them is in relationship to Him. The understanding that Jesus gives them is by their coming to Him and being with Him. She has now come to Jesus. She has now been redeemed. And so this process a faith-seeking understanding begins, and it begins with Jesus saying, magic clothes didn't heal you. You weren't healed by some touching of, of my garments. You weren't healed by some spell. You were healed by faith. Faith is the conduit. It's the vessel. It's the channel through which the healing came to you. And by the way, that word for healing, so-so. It's the same word for saving. So throughout the New Testament, almost every time that you see save or heal, it's the same word. And it can be used interchangeably based on the context. I think in this context, we are intended to think of both. Not only physical healing, your faith has healed you physically, but also your faith has saved you. Because faith is the vessel through which those things come to us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved, how? Through faith. The same thing is here. Her faith itself was not the healing power as though faith, as though Jesus is some sort of faith healer going around saying, well, if you got faith, I'll heal you. If you got faith, I'll heal you. Well, this, if you don't have faith, then I can't heal you. That's not what happens in Nazareth in the next story when, when we're, when we're told that Jesus could do no mighty works there because of their unbelief. Jesus isn't a faith healer in which He requires faith on the part of the people that He wants to heal in order for them to be healed. Instead, faith is not the agent that heals. Faith is just the means through which the healing comes. And so in the same way, Paul says that faith is the means through which the regeneration comes. Before by grace you have been saved through faith. So Scripture tells us it's the means that the healing comes to her, not this touching of His garment, not some sort of magic spell, not sort of not anything other than the faith that has been implanted into her heart because she's heard of Jesus, she's heard the accounts, and faith has begun in her heart even though it's all mixed up and all distorted and mixed up with pagan beliefs. Nonetheless, it's still good soil, and that good soil brings her to Christ brings her to Jesus in true and genuine and honest faith, even though it's infantile, even though it's distorted and mixed up. Listen to the words of Charles Spurgeon as he comments about this. He says this, Here is the great marvel of the whole thing. Little as it was, I'm sorry, little as was her knowledge, as great as her unbelief, and astounding as was her misconceptions of her Lord, yet her faith, because it was real, 
saved her. She comes to Jesus with this genuine faith, all mixed up, all distorted, and we should be careful not to disparage her. We should be careful not to look at the story of this woman and say, oh, this pagan woman, she was a Jew. She should have known better than this. She should have known that clothes don't heal people. Jairus should have known that that God can heal without Jesus having to be present. So we should not disparage her. We should instead remind ourselves that apart from the teaching work of the Holy Spirit and the complete Bible that we have that she didn't have, aside from those things, our perception, our understanding of the things of God would be just as infantile and just as mixed up. So by the grace of God, he sees the good soil, he sees the good heart, and from this point on, her experience with Christ will be the experience of faith-seeking understanding, and it all begins with Jesus saying, here's how you were healed. You were healed through faith. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. That word peace there is shalom, which means a whole lot more than just Absence of conflict, it means wholeness, it means well-being. So he says to her, go in this new wholeness, in this new well-being and be healed of your disease. That could be rightly translated, be healed and continue being healed of your disease. In other words, Jesus says to her, this is not going to come back. The next month, when all this comes back around, it won't be the same thing. Jesus is saying, I've healed you and the healing is permanent. However, She's not permanently healed. Of this affliction, she is. But there'll be other diseases. There'll be other sicknesses. Just like Jairus' daughter, Jesus will resurrect her to life and she'll die. Because this is a picture that's pointing us to another healing and another resurrection. The true and the genuine resurrection, the true and the genuine healing, that which will come and put an end to all sicknesses. Jesus' healing of her was a temporary stopgap, just like Jesus' resurrection of Jairus' daughter will be a temporary stopgap because they will await the resurrection to come. So in healing her, the final thing that we'll say is this, in healing her, Jesus entered into her uncleanness. By being touched by her, and not only being touched, but by bringing attention to the fact that an unclean woman has touched him, Jesus has entered into her uncleanness in order to make her unclean. Just like he entered into the uncleanness of the man possessed of the evil spirits, he entered into his uncleanness to make him clean. Likewise, he will also enter into the same uncleanness to rescue Jairus' daughter because as he will go to her and as he will touch her, he will be touching a corpse. Three times in the span of a day and a half, Jesus goes to the unclean and touches the unclean, entering into their death, entering into their uncleanness in order to rescue them out of their uncleanness and bring them into life.